Hello and welcome back to the Culture Creators Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Catherine Leach. Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi Bryn, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Well, thanks for having me in your fantastic boardroom with this great art. Um, so you are the founder, owner and MD of Leach Legal. I am. The largest family law firm in Perth and Melbourne. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, founded in 2004. Um, for the listener, can you just give us just a little bit more background about you so we can place you before we journey into the conversation. Sure, um, so my background is I'm a lawyer. I've worked in family law for about 30 years um, and uh, I started this business in 2004 and basically with sort of two or three people and then have spent the last um, 19 years growing it, um, learning about business and management and leadership and um, getting it to where it is today. Mm. Um, so that, that's my, my kind of um, employment background, I suppose, my vocational background. I've got um, interests in, in lots of different areas outside of the business. I, um, particularly, m my big interest is in um, business, so I'm a member of an international group called Entrepreneurs Organisation. Um, I sit on their regional board at the moment as the governance director um, in charge of you know, um, Asia-Pacific and the chapters in the Asia Pacific region and so I travel and um, attend a lot of different events with Entrepreneurs Organisation um, and that gives me a lot of insight into businesses outside law which I think has been really helpful mm. in growing the business. Mm. As, um, as I thought about today and obviously the line of inquiry around this podcast that I've created is for people to understand this unseen and sometimes unaccounted for space that surrounds us whether it's in the workplace or in communities or even in families and sports teams this thing called culture um, and how we can navigate it better by understanding it and start to see some of the dynamics at play I, I started to think about what would it be like to actually work in a legal firm mm. and more to the point what would it be like to create and lead a lead a, a legal firm because from the outsider looking in you've got some very bright sparky people who are very good at who, who are professionals at arguing for a living on one level yeah and so that must come with some fun and some challenges mm. <clears throat> oh it, it it's a very different type of leadership i think when you are leading people that are trained in that particular way um, there was an incident um, probably 10 years ago now and, and I had you know come up with this great plan to, to, to change things to change things up to improve things and I remember presenting it to my lawyers yeah. in a boardroom and the response I got was just terrible you know there was silence there was you know kind of criticism there was just objections and I actually came away from that meeting and I ran away and I sobbed because right. I just thought that was the worst meeting I've ever had that was the worst delivery and I was talking to a friend of mine who who had built a large firm in New Zealand and telling him about the experience and he said yeah but lawyers are there to find problems that's how they're trained yes. and in them finding the problems what they're doing is they think they're helping you 
Whereas I had interpreted it as it's just terrible and they hate me and it's a bad idea and right. it's, they're all against me. And Which is interesting considering this is your background too. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I get so excited about, you know, improvement and innovation and stuff and I just, and, and I know the background to it all and I think I'm much better at it now, but I think a lot of my problem was, you know, I knew all the background and the information and stuff, but I didn't really relay it particularly well. So mm. all they heard was, this is what we're doing now. And then they would say, well, these are the, these are the, the, the obstacles to that. And I just mm. saw that as, well, how can you not be on board with me when this is so fantastic? Yes. So how did you rectify that? I think um, understanding that they're there to find problems because they care Yes, was a big thing for me to take on board, um, and then I think it's it's realizing that you know I'm a lawyer, but I'm an entrepreneur, and I work very fast, and yes. I I change and adapt very quickly, and that's not everybody's style, mm. and it, that I've got to take people on the journey mm. because I've I've done the abridged version of the journey. It's fine. I understand it. I'm so enthused. Yes. Whereas I say so to you, you've gone from here to here. Yeah. You just want everyone to come. And and nobody's with there. me. They're all back there, and yes. I'm sort of pulling them along. And they're saying, "We don't want to be over there." Yes. You know, it's like me saying to you, Bryn. Okay, well, we we're going to you know completely change the way you do the podcast, and it's going to be great, and it's amazing. And you say, "Well, I don't understand why." So don't worry about it. We're just going to yes. change it around. And I find, particularly from my experience of, of being a management consultant, was watching change initiatives, mm. particularly where we want to fundamentally change something within an organisation and you have this um, small enclave that will sit in a room and, and think it out and work it out and this, that and the other. And then it's like, bang, we'll drop it on mm. the people. Yeah. But people do need to go on a journey. Yeah. Because you're letting go of something to go towards a new thing and people want to understand what that new thing is and they need to process it and go on their journey. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of consultation and, um, and I suppose just, just thinking it through and, and having a process to get there rather than just mm. unloading it and, and, you know. So how would you describe the culture here? Um, it has been described to me by people who have worked here as the best place they've ever worked. Okay. It's, um, I, I think, you know, I'm still very good friends with a lot of people that have come through here that have gone and started their own firm mm. or they've gone to another firm and, and they all are still very, a lot of them are still very good friends with people who are still working here. Mm. Um, what, what makes it the best? Because that's like a big... Yeah, I think one of the things I was really conscious of early on, because we had an all-female firm mm. for a long time, um, and at once, you know, be before we kind of got the first male, there was about 31 women, and then this one man came in this to, this, <laughs> to this culture. Um, and I was really conscious, because everyone used to say to me, is it a really bitchy culture? And I would say, no, it's not. You know, it's very supportive, it's very caring. And I was really conscious of that and deliberately created um, that by not, not leading in that way. So I would never go to somebody and go, oh God, have you heard about Jane and what she's doing? No, like, I can't believe it. Yes. Like never, I never talk about people behind their back. Hmm. It's always, if I've got an issue, I talk to you. Yep. Um, and, and when you, um, model that I think people 
you know, they pick up on it and they mm. follow it. Mm. So what was that like transitioning this first male into uh, the Well, we, we had one for a while um, and he was lovely and, and he, he, he worked out really well and then he left and so then we went back to the 31 women and then um, when Damien came in, he was just the perfect man to be able to, to navigate it because he mm. was older, you know, he'd run his own firm, he'd managed people, he, you know, he just had that experience. And so I've always been particularly careful about the people that I choose to fit into the culture. Mm. But particularly with the men, you know, we couldn't have any real massive kind of macho A-types coming in mm. and trying to run it and tell people how to do stuff because they would just yeah. be... <laughs> yeah, they'd be shot down. <laughs> so I'm still intrigued. You've described it um, before as uh, the people who've left said it's like the best culture. If um, if you're going to use a metaphor, how, yeah. what would you? How would it describe? Oh, I think uh, maybe I'll use an example. I think I went to a wedding on the weekend of one of my lawyers, and I think um, we've now got something like six or seven people in the firm that are engaged or getting married mm. and I think what that means to me is that you know we work in family law so we're always cautious about relationships and marriages and things but I think it's mm. it's created an environment where people are able to have really functional relationships um, they've got a work-life balance they've got um, you know friendships and support and things like that and so they're able to live these really you know healthy Kind of balance lives. I don't have a metaphor. Have, a metaphor. Sure. have you got one? Well, no, because I don't work here. No. <laughs> I'm sure one's going to come out of you. Well, I, th I, th I think it's, you know, uh, you, when you start a firm, when I started a firm, you, you think, oh, it's like a family. And it really is at that early stage. You know, I had little kids. My legal secretary has also babysat my kids. There was, you know, that kind of real interwovenness that yes, you have in that small firm environment and as I've got bigger I've been very careful to never say that it's like a family because it's not like a family you know right. like there are people who will come and go um, and people that just you know are not a good fit for the firm and mm. you can't you know you don't do that to your family you don't say well it's been great Bryn you know you've, you've been yeah. here for a while but things are not off working yeah off you <laughs> go so I think that family um, that family analogy is just not not really quite correct mm. Mm. have you have you had to navigate any um, cultural clashes in your time oh I think I think you always do mm. I think it's constant even when you've got the most amazing stuff in the world because you've got you know, people go through different stages of their life and, and somebody yes. who, you know, might have been amazing when they started, you know, loses momentum um, or they, they decide there's a better opportunity somewhere and those are just all, all life issues. They're not, they're not, you know, you don't get a person and they're like this glass and never change. They're going to, yeah. you know, constantly change. And I've always been very... Um, you know, I suppose very conscious of that. And when, when I've had lawyers who have left, I've always been of the mind, like you're leaving, you have your clients who are very attached to you. And so I'm not gonna play this game where I walk you out and lock you out and oh, hold yeah, on to your clients. You yeah, so every lawyer that's left pretty much, I've just said, okay, when are you leaving? How long do you need? What clients 
will you take with you? What clients will you mm. leave? And it's just been a very civilised, you know, movement mm. be because ultimately as well, we're here to service the clients. And if the client rings up and you go, oh, that lawyer doesn't work here anymore. And they're like, well, I'm, I've been with them for two years. Like, yeah. where are they? they and we go, me. oh, I don't know where they are, which is, you know, yeah, just lying. Um, and then they, they have to go to the trouble of like Googling and then they've got to, you know, organise for the file to move and stuff. And I'm like, why would you inconvenience your clients mm. when ultimately they're going to go anyway? Mm. So it's I'm getting a real sense of there being a, a real human element and a very civil, civil human element to it. Well, my, my early um, philosophy on hiring people was always I hire adults. This is what right. we do, and then we treat them like adults. So for my lawyers, mm. I've always said to them, this is what I expect of you. These are your monetary targets that you need to hit. If you can hit those one day a week and never turn up for the other four days, I don't care. And you're servicing your clients and your clients are happy. If it takes you seven days a week, that's not my problem. And I think that's been really appreciated over the years. Mm. You know, I had one lawyer who actually left her previous employer because she um, she was training for the Rottnest Swim. Yes. And her employer required her to be at her desk at 8.30 every yeah, morning. Which and doesn't she, work. She couldn't train and be in. And, and I just said to her what I've said, you know, as long as you hit your KPIs, turn up at 10. I really don't care. Yes. And that's, I think, served me really well because it always just puts the responsibility back onto them. Hmm. You know, that's you manage how you want to manage you're an adult you've got a law degree you're very experienced this came up in a conversation recently with um, professor gary martin yes who i spoke with on the podcast and we talked about this tension between um if you're very prescriptive about your role and you're continually telling people what to do, you actually put them in a very childlike state mm. because all of a sudden you're becoming almost like the parent mm. who's telling them what to do. And so although they will be grown adults, um, they will act like that and that will become part of the pervading culture. Mm. Whereas when we treat people like adults and recognize that they have a life, um, but there is work to be done, and that how you do that work, as long as the, the expectations of the organisation are met, then people become, have a lot more agency over how they, mm. how they perform their task. And they will act as adults and the whole inter set of interactions that pervade the culture will be of a more adult orientation. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I think as well, you know, having a clear... Um, a clear understanding of what we're trying to achieve as a business mm. is really important. So, so we, you know, we reveal our revenue figures every day to our staff. They get an email saying these people have paid their bills and this is what the revenue is tracking and this is our goal for the month and this is where we yes. sit. Um, so everybody's involved. Everybody's involved, and so you know, it's 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 really. Um, important I think that they understand what the goal is and how we're mm. tracking on the goal yeah and you can't say well I'm not going to talk about money because the business is about money it's about you it know is. it's a you've got to make a profit for us to be here otherwise we're not going to be here mm. um, and we want to know you know you know other KPIs that we measure you know we measure how many files we open and, and we measure that you mm. know, we, we report on that weekly we report on 
um, you know, other things that are important for, you know, the utilisation of the staff. And I think people understanding that, they understand the big picture. Where are we going? What are we trying to achieve? And we're mm. part of it, you know, we're, we contribute to this. We're not just doing our little siloed bit yes. of work. What else does it mean to have adults? I mean, I find this a really interesting concept that we talk about actually treating people like adults in the workplace. What else does that mean to you? Well, I think it's a really pervasive theme having come out of COVID because when you when you go to somewhere, I've just come back from, from our Melbourne office where I've been for a couple of weeks and, you know, they were in lockdown for nearly two Very years. And so how do you treat people like children when you can't see them? You've got to accept, you know, I, I've heard of businesses that had, you know, software on there where they could take screenshots of people's computers all day. And I just find that actually really abhorrent that that level of yes. surveillance is, is occurring and that you don't trust your staff enough to be able to do mm. that. So I, I think um, with this advent of, of hybrid working, you've, you've got to treat them like adults because you, you know you can't be sitting looking over their shoulder. Mm. And then how does that culture of having very civilised adult-oriented <coughs> people then relate out to your clients because and I know this from personal experience when I'm when people get to a place of oh I need to speak to a family lawyer mm. it's not a good place no and you can be lost at sea and and at the whim of many emotions and all sorts of things are going on and this yeah because mm. it is emotional when the relationships start to come to an end yeah um, I would I would imagine it's very important that you have this very sort of uh, at least level adult person in the middle of that. Mm. I, I think one of the key things is that that environment allows people to take responsibility for stuff. So you know, there's nothing more frustrating than dealing with an organisation that goes, well, that's not my job, or mm. um, that's not my fault. That's something you did. Whereas people here have no qualms saying, okay, well, yep, that, was, that wasn't done, that's what we'll do to fix it, or you know, this is what needs to happen. So there's a real um, transparency and level of confidence that they have because they can own what's happened and they can also own what hasn't happened. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things that we do is we meet every morning at 9.20, we have a huddle where we all go into the kitchen and we go around and everybody says what their major task for the day is, whether they need any help and where they are on a scale of one to 10 in terms of workload. Mm. And in a, in, a, in a child culture, everyone would say they're a 10 because they don't want to be judged for not being super busy. And in an adult culture, it will vary on what people have got on. So, yes. you know, somebody will say, I'm a five today and I can help whoever needs helping. And it's mm. awesome. And there's no, okay, Bryn, what's going on? You know, obviously you're not working hard enough and we need yeah. to rethink whether you should be working here. It's just like, okay, well, you're a bit quieter today. <laughs> And let's see if we've got some stuff that we can give you. And the, you know, the admin, everybody, the admin, the lawyers, they will go, oh, okay, actually I've got something really big today. Can I get you to help me? Mm. And so f from a client's perspective, you know, it's a pretty, um, you know, if you can pull back the curtain and the clients could see what was happening, it's, it's really such a beautifully oiled machine because there is always someone there to catch what's yes. going on. It's really quite interesting because f 
for somebody who, um, so I'm very much drawn into our, our patterns of how we flow in life and, and all the different parts of us. And again, from an outsider looking in, working in a legal practice would be this very, um, how should I put it, uh, rational, technical, you know, the, the, the law of the, the word of the law is the word of the law and there's a process that people go through and it, so it's, 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 it's very much in that space. Yet, you are dealing with human beings mm. who have feelings, who have thoughts and behaviours and they have work and uh, work and life and all these sort of things and people have their own baggage and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it sounds very interesting because I could see how if you weren't too, if you weren't um, careful enough that this pervading overly rational drive of the work would start to pervade into the entire culture and then you would end up with um, what I've referred to as like, almost like this corporate numbness. Mm. Mm. Well, I think particularly family law is a very human, mm. um, human driven aspect of law. You know, if you're doing a, another type of law, and I haven't practiced in other areas of law, but I imagine you can have particular types of law where you've got step one, step two, and you just follow the bouncing ball down yes. there and it's all done. Uh, whereas we do step one and step one's dependent on step two, but then step two doesn't happen because we don't hear back from the other side or our own client doesn't provide us what we need or there's an urgent applications come in from the court mm. or the client won't contact us and we we have no information and so then you go back to sort of step 1a and you know it's very mm. hard to sit and have a nice logical process and you've got to be incredibly flexible um, and tolerant and I think um, junior lawyers really suffer from that early on because all they want to do is make the client do what they're supposed to do yes and what what I'm telling the them to do to that's through. right yes. and and as you get more experienced and older and I just say to clients that's fine it's your case I'll do whatever you want me to do here's what the likely outcomes are yes and I wouldn't recommend it but you know what it's your life and yes. you can do whatever you want and that is such a freeing thing I think for a lot of clients because mm. they go away and they come back and they do what I've suggested but they get to process it through rather than yeah. just being told this is what we're doing yeah. and I'd, I'm not even listening to your objections. Mm. Which is similar to what we started with when you were telling the rest of your employees this is what's going to happen and, but you needed to give them time to process. Yeah, yeah it is and, and I think recognising that and that's probably only something that I've got in later years is just recognising how differently people process stuff and how you know they don't you know, I'm a very, um, I suppose I'm a risk taker, I'm a really um, quick decision maker and I'm very firm mm. on my decisions. Have you always been like that? Yeah, I mean, I get the information and I consider everything, but once I make a decision, I'm, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not someone who sits there going, oh, geez, that was a bad decision. I probably should, I should have done it differently. I'm like, it's done, I've done it. Yes. Whereas I know a lot of people ruminate on, you know, what they should do and then they make the decision and then they still ruminate on it and it, it, it does drive me mad because I'm like, just just do it. Like just it doesn't, do whatever it decision you make, it's perfect because you can't yeah. change it, you've done it. So yeah. just carry That's on. That's one at that point in time. Exactly. So. There we go. Yeah. How much of the culture here is Catherine and how much of the cult culture of the organisation goes the other way? Uh, how much does it shape you now? Because you would have shaped it in the start. Yeah. Well, I think obviously there's there's input from lots of different people now that probably wouldn't, 
you know, wouldn't have um, influenced me in the beginning. But I think I, I went through a stage where I was very much like, it's leech legal, it's not me, I'm, I'm out of, you know, I want to step back, it's, let's create this mm. entity because we want people to come to the entity and not to me because yes. I'm, you know, I'm only one person. Um, but you have to be, I found you have to be very careful about how much you step out of that. And what I finally came to realise is that, it, you know, a company needs a figurehead. They need a, a, a front person, you know, they need the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and, and it's me. And as much as I struggled to accept that, I now fully accept that because that's the reality of mm. it. What was the struggle though? Oh, I think... It, it was a little bit of like, I don't necessarily want to be in the limelight. You know, right. I don't want to make it about me. I just want to do what I'm doing and, mm. you know, not, not be, you know, front and centre and stuff. And then once you kind of let that go and go, okay, well, this is what it is. If I'm going to be running this company, I've got to step up and be present mm. and be, you know, my face is on the website. And I look at it and go, really? Is that really necessary? You know, it's not just about me. It's about the whole team. But, you know that's people want to latch on to they want a person yeah they don't want a company because what is a company going to do for them particularly given what you said about this being quite a human personal thing particularly with your clients and what have you um or too off you know how easy is it to actually form a relationship with an entity or an institution exactly you don't talk to an entity no yeah you want to know that there's a person. There. Yeah, and I think if people if people see me and know me uh, and understand me, they I may not necessarily be representing them, but they know who I am and that I'm here. Yes. And I'm always happy to talk to anybody who, who wants to talk to me. Um, and I think that gives people a lot of comfort because whatever happens in their day-to-day -day lives, you know, I'm always there. Mm. You enjoyed the journey? That's fun. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, it's been amazing. I mean, really, it, 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 you know, the the ups and downs and the challenges and the learnings and things are just so, um, so interesting. You know, I, f I find it really, looking back, the things, you know, the things I wish I'd known and all, all of that stuff that you do when you get a bit of experience uh, and the things that I will look back in ten years' time and go, oh, well, that seemed pretty obvious. What? Yes. What were you thinking? Hindsight's a beautiful thing. It is, it is. There we go. Yeah. One of the, the last sort of closing questions I ask all my guests is, what's the one thing, um, what's the one thing that we should be talking about in terms of culture that we don't seem to be? Oh, questions without notice. Um, <laughs> Foreign territory for you, I <laughs> yeah, imagine. No, that's right. <laughs> what should we be talking about? Um, well, interesting. I just um, I've just read a book on onboarding, uh, which has been written by my business coach Brad Giles, and it, it's a really great book. And it, it it talks about how most people do kind of a week of onboarding, you know, maybe two weeks, and and he sets out like a process over six months that you mm. should do, and um, and I think that's a really undercooked thing is mm. is that whole onboarding them, you know, having your, your, your values and your vision and making people embed into that and teaching them to be part of it and the training and things. And I think, you know, they're in, in this environment where people have got hundreds of jobs they can apply for and they can move around, 
you've got a, your point of difference has got to be look you know we bring you in and we you know onboard you mm. thoroughly so that you understand the culture you understand what we're trying to achieve you understand how we operate and we don't just leave you you know with a manual and come back in a week and say right you're onboarded mm. good luck it's quite interesting that spending you know as you were saying six-month process to fully embed it's to me that's really creating all the connections mm. and you know the hi welcome to the company yeah. take you out for lunch that's right here's your new laptop read the manual yeah how do you connect to that yeah and then right. people do feel um, quite lost for the first two or three months you, you you want to grab onto something to demonstrate that it was worthwhile being employed, yeah. provide some worth, make some friends, make some connections. And, and so often I find, certainly in my past, I've watched people come into places where I've been and you can see them almost grabbing, mm. desperately grabbing. Yeah. Um, and more often than not, particularly in the latter parts of certainly being a, a consultant, I'd say to them, just chill out, let the job come to you, mm. let the connections come to you. You know, if you remember back at school, were you still friends with the person you met on the first day of school? Probably not. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you grabbed onto those because it was a new school and just wanted someone to talk to. Yeah. But more after a while, you find the people that, you know, you work well with. And, and it unfolds from there. Well, it, it is, and it's the confirmation bias. Like you've, got to, you've got to find all the signs that say you've made the right decision until there's a tipping point where you think maybe I made the wrong decision and then you're going to look for all of those signs that show that you've made the wrong decision. Yes. Um, I mean, one of the things that we do is we... we in terms of recruiting. In terms of, well, in yes. terms of anything in life. Like, nobody ever says the $300 bottle of champagne tastes bad, right? No. It's always beautiful. So, you know, and, and we are very strong on our values. We talk about them every day. We, um, you know, we, we give appreciation to other people based on, you know, values, um, and, and I think that's a really big part of our culture is saying, you know, one of our values is connection. Right. And so I might say, well, I want to appreciate you, Bryn, this week for, um, you know, taking me out for lunch on my first day and that demonstrates connection and thank you very much. And so that's just c completely embedded in our, in our culture is, is, is living those values. Hmm. Interesting. And I would, I, I think I've been thinking about this, you know, in advising people with, with you know, startups and things about what, what I would do differently. And, and it's, it's embedding those values, choosing them and then talking about them and then living them right from when you're a two person group, mm. because it, that creates what we have. You know, our values are connection, respect, own it and excellence. So that's good. Connection. Connection. Yep. Respect. Respect. Yes. Own it. Own it. And excellence. And excellence. And if everybody lives by those values, you have an incredible business. Yes. For me, because those are my values. Now, somebody else might not find connection is important. Yes. For example, they might say, look, I just want people to come to work and do their job and go home. And whether they talk to each other or have a relationship or... Yes. But, but connection is bigger than that. Connection is about the connection with the client. You know, you want people who are going to have a relationship with the client and bring mm. them through as well. So it, it pervades not only your work culture, it pervades your professional relationships and mm. your work and what you produce. There's some interesting ones that you brought out there, you know, particularly um, connection and 
own it. Yeah. Um, I sometimes, I sometimes struggle with um, company or organisational values, mm. particularly as often they are derived by a, again like a small enclave of people and they're like right so what's the organizational values and you immediately go to a very again rational cognitive place and it's like well it's got to be integrity we've got to have integrity <laughs> we've got to have honesty we've got to have transparency you know yeah. that they're there in pretty much everybody's yeah right and yet it's actually connecting to who we are as individuals, as human beings, that mm -hmm. gives us our actual connection to values and how they then manifest in the world. And so sometimes I struggle with this almost, I have these set of values and I'm going to put them upon you, mm. the work bees, as opposed to do we create an environment where everybody who works within the company has the ability to connect to the essence of what it is to be themselves and being a human. Um, because when we connect there, then we'll find an amazing set of mm. values that emerges. And we may not have to put a label on it, but um, sort of route one to avoiding wonky behavior. Mm. I, have a, I, have a, I have a good friend, um, Wella, and she's very clear. She says, I, I don't mind whether your intent is good or bad. I just need to know that you're connected to who you are because then I know you won't make damage in the world. Right. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I think the values is always an interesting conversation because there are certainly um, businesses that you go to that have the values on mm. the wall and then that's all they do with it. Um, we actually took our team off-site, we went to Bali and we did a whole day discussing what our values would be and what they meant and, and so the team contributed to that um, and agreed on it. And obviously there's been, you know, different people have, have come and gone since then because that was quite a long time ago. But we, we use the values, like we talk about stories to live by, you know, what is a mm. story about how someone's demonstrating the values and I think we've almost grown into the values even though we were very happy to set them but we've right. grown into them because we we have this really deep-seated fundamental understanding of what they mean yes because we have all these examples of what they mean yeah it's almost know. like there was there was an there was like a, a a sense of momentum or energy put behind them yes and that's carried on yes it wasn't a poster no it was a, it was a you know we talk about them every week like every week at the mm. meetings we talk about them. And then the stories become an integral part of the culture and they become part of the momentum that goes forward. That's right. And they demonstrate positive behaviour or helpful behaviour mm. by tying it to the value. So it's and stories carry all the nuance of the behaviour. Mm. It's not just, here's the dot points of what transparency looks like. Yeah. You know, do that. You know, stories carry a lot mm. with them. Yeah. Yeah, so my team know that own it means, you know, if something if something arises, if somebody asks you to do something, it falls in your lap and you carry it through until it's done. And it's it's never, it's not my job or it's never, oh, you know, I didn't know how to do it or somebody else said they'd help out. It's always, 
I owned it. Yes. You know, I carried it through right to the end. Quite that. Mm. There'd be a lot of business leaders listening to this wishing that, that was happening more in their organisation. <laughs> you've got you to create it. It stops things falling through the cracks, doesn't it? Well, it does. And it's, it's super important for me because I don't want to find out that you know, we've missed something crucial yeah, in, the, in someone's legal left. case, you yeah. know, because someone said, well, that wasn't, I wasn't doing that. That was, that was, you know, John's issue. He was supposed to deal with that. It's like, no, 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 that's your file. You're responsible. You manage it. Hmm. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you. It's been fun. I've, um, I've taken a lot out of it. Good. Good. Particularly about the humanness, the adult stuff, the values and the stories that, yeah. Mm. I've taken a lot out of it. Great. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me.